You know, God does want us to enjoy life, doesn't he? He wants us to enjoy. In fact, in John 10, 10, Jesus says, I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But then he goes on to say that there's an adversary called the devil that seeks to steal, kill, and destroy that life. And the devil will remind us of our past in order to keep us from enjoying that life that God has given us to live. And the devil, he doesn't want us to have a fresh start in life. But the good news is that God says, I want you to have a fresh start in life. I want you to have that. I want you to have that new beginning. I want to do something new in your life. And aren't you glad that God wants to do something new in your life? That God wants to do something great? Doesn't it make you excited that God desires to give you a fresh start, a new beginning in life? And what all of us need here this morning is a fresh start, a new beginning with God. Last year, some of you said, well, I'm going to grow in my relationship with God. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to get more involved in my church. I'm going to spend more quality time with my family. And the list could go on and on and on. And the fact all of us here have made some mistakes or we've made some bad decisions that hinder us from doing those things that we wanted to do. Well, this morning, the great news for you is according to the verse that we read in Isaiah 43, 18, the Lord says, forget about what's happened before. Do not think about the past. Instead, look at the new things that I'm about to do. Look at the things that I'm going to do. Listen to what God's saying. Forget about what's happened before. He says, don't think about the past. It's over. The book is closed on it. And what we have to understand is that God is far more interested in our future than he is in our past, isn't he? More interested in our future. And some people think that God's stuck on their past. And that's all that he wants to do is remind us of the things that we have done wrong. But God is more interested in our future than he is with our past. And that's where I'm going to spend the rest of our life. He says, forget about your past. Forget about the former things. Don't think about it. Look at the new thing I'm about to do. Here in our scripture, Israel was being disciplined, punished for their sins and rebellion against God. They had done what they so many times did. God was so great to them as he is to us. Is he not? Is God good to us? And yet the children of Israel oftentimes would disobey and rebel. But God, he wanted to give them hope and encouragement. He wanted them to know that even though they're being disciplined, they were not being forsaken. They were still his people. God wanted his people to understand that the punishment that they were experiencing would not be the end of them. As I I think they thought it was. And the fact that God wanted to give them that fresh start in life, that new beginning. Israel, no doubt, was discouraged. Because they thought that this was the end of them. They thought that they had gone too far maybe. That they had gone so far to the point that God would no longer be their God. Maybe they thought that God wouldn't deliver them anymore. Maybe they thought it was over. Maybe you thought that this past year at times. And when they began to remember the former things of the past deliverances. 
Israel could remember those deliverances and past victories. They could remember when they were trapped by the Red Sea and they had nowhere to go and how God made a way for them to cross that Red Sea, walk right through it. See, the Lord will do greater things than ever before his people. As he tells them that he will do a new thing. He even talks about the uh, road in the wilderness and, and water in the desert. And think about that, of how important that will be. In fact, there would be so much water that the animals would have enough to drink. And, and they would even rejoice. See, God promises to guide us day by day. Does he not? A light into our path in that. But this morning, I, I want us to look at this fresh beginning, how to get that new start. And, and I want to do it by this formula, and it's, it's in your bulletin, and, and share with you for starting over, and, and it's the word start. It's the word start, and, and I hope you'll remember this, pass it along to friends, and just maybe think about this today. First of all, S, it means stop making excuses. Stop making excuses. If you want a fresh start in life, you have to stop making excuses for your failures. We have to stop blaming other people. We've got to start seeing ourselves as the victim of our circumstances. Other people can hurt us. Other people can harm us. Other people can scar us. But the only person that can ruin your life is you. Nobody can ruin your life without your permission. You have a choice that you can make and you can choose how you're going to respond to those hurts, you, how you're going to respond to those things that happen in your life. And the Bible says the starting point is just being honest and accept the responsibility for your part in the problem. This was not anything new. Go all the way back to the book of Genesis in chapter 3, verse uh, 8. It says, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, God among, uh, a God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of, of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman that you gave to me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord said, God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So God comes to Adam and Eve. They, they sinned, have they not? And he says, where are you? Now God knew where they were physically. I think it's more of a spiritual question. But notice when God confronts Adam, he says, what is this? Who told you? And Adam says, God, it's your fault. It's this woman you made. Not my fault. You made her and gave her to me. You're to blame, right? And then when he goes to Eve, she said, it was a servant. He deceived me. He deceived me. Proverbs 28, 13 says, a man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. To get that fresh start, that starting point, you, we have to be honest about our problems. And most of the problems in my life and my failures are my fault. 
right? We bring so much on our, ourselves. But it's so hard to get people to admit that they're wrong. We don't like to admit that we're wrong, do we? We don't like to admit that. We don't like to say I made a mistake. We don't like to say I, I blew it. Many years ago when our, our, our kids uh, were home and, and younger, and, and there was one day and, uh, there in, in the living room, and I said to Sheila, I said, you know, I was wrong. And she says, what? <laughs> I said, honey, I was wrong. I, I didn't quite hear you. Can you say it louder? I was wrong. No, I, I still didn't. I was wrong. Hey, kids, come downstairs. Your dad has something to tell you. So all three kids come down. And with them there, I said, guys, I was wrong. Man, that took a lot for me to do that. But is that not what we should do? God says that if we admit the mistake, if we admit our failures, if we admit our sins, we get another chance in life. The number one reason we fail in life is that we don't prepare ourselves for the problems that we're going to face in life. How many face problems in 2022? Guess what? You're going to face them this year too. Are we not? Things happen in, in life. And the Bible says in Proverbs 20 verse 7, a sensible man watches for problems and prepares to meet them, but the fool never, never looks ahead and suffers the consequences. Let me ask you this this morning. Was it raining when Noah started building the ark? It wasn't, was it? In fact, he had to prepare for the coming flood. In fact, the rain didn't come for 120 years. That's how long it took him to build this boat. And think about that. The Bible says in Proverbs 15, plans fail without good advice. You need to get all the advice that you can. Get good advice from people that you know you can trust. The Bible says pride always leads to destruction. So many times I think, you know, we don't want to seek the advice of, of other people because of our pride. I was in the pastoral ministry for 30 years. And I was fortunate to have some um, men of God, great men of God. Some of them have gone on to be home with the Lord. And I miss them tremendously uh, because they were such spiritual giants to me. And men that I could go to. And I'll make, people would always laugh when I say this, where I could just let my hair down and be myself. <laughs> Chris, I, yeah, I don't have hair like that, man. <laughs> but I knew they would give me sound, sound biblical advice. The problem is we listen to too many people in the world and not from the people of God. Failure is the past that we do. And the problem is that we oftentimes we give up so early. You know, if at first you don't succeed, welcome to the human race. Welcome to the human race. At first you don't succeed, you're normal. Very few people make it on the first try when you think about that. 
And, and so what happens oftentimes is that people will quit too early, too soon. And the Bible says we need to stop making excuses. Admit it when it's our fault and get on with life. So the S in start stands for stop making excuses. The T is take an inventory of my life. Take an inventory of my life. I need to take an inventory of my life, and it means that I need to evaluate all my experiences. I need to look at what I have left after the failure. I need to take an inventory of my life's experiences and learn from them. Galatians 3, 4 says, You have experienced many things. Were all those experiences wasted? I hope not. Learn from your mistakes. Failure can be your friend or your foe. You're, you determine if failure will be your friend or foe by the way that you react to it. Guys, things happen to us in life. Good things and bad things, right? The important thing is not that. The important thing is how do we respond to those? And here's why. If you have non-believing friends, family, co-workers, they're watching you. They're watching to see how do you respond when adversity hits you. And there's four kinds of experiences that God uses to shape our lives. He uses our personal experiences, the family that you grew up in. I was fortunate. I grew up in, in a Christian home. I was in church at one week old. I didn't know it, didn't know anything then, but my mom says I was in church at one week old. When the doors opened, we were in church. As a teenager, I didn't always like that. I was playing ball. You mean I, we got to quit? Yeah, we're going to church. That's what we do on Wednesday night, Sunday night, Sunday morning. But the family that you grew up in, the people that you relate to. God can use your personal experience with your husband or your wife or whoever it may be. He also uses vocational and educational experiences to shape you. He can use of, of your vocation. One of the things when we, um, actually this was before I had surrendered to go into the ministry. And we lived in Florence. We lived in, in a condo. I was a deacon at, at Kennebu Baptist Church. And um, one of our, our church members and uh, friends, uh, he was a painter. That's, that's what he did. And he taught me some things about painting. Now, I'm not talking about painting pictures. I can't even do stick men. Okay? I can't even do that. I'm talking about painting on walls and things. You realize how much that has benefited me in my life? Just by learning how to paint. In conversations with people and those even being able to lead to the Lord. God can use your vocation. He can use your educational experiences to shape you. He also uses spiritual experiences to shape you. Like coming to church, going on a retreat, reading your Bible, having quiet time. God can use these spiritual experiences to shape you. He also uses painful experiences to shape you. He can use those. In April of 2016, I believe it was, um, 
15, I was scheduled to have open heart surgery. I had seven blockages. And the one doctor said, medically, you should not be alive. And I remember the night before uh, my surgery. It was just uh, me and Sheila there that night. And so I said, hey, do we need to talk about my funeral? Because they've told me I may not make it. Do we need to go over my funeral plans? Now I'll never forget her answer. No, absolutely not. God would not have brought you through this far just to let you die. And you know what? God wasn't finished, was he? And, and brought through. But he can use those experiences. You can take an inventory of your life and, and starting over and, and ask yourself, what have I learned? What have I learned in this experience? I know people who are 40, 50, 60 years old, but they don't have 40 or 50 years of experience. They've had the same year of experience over and over and over again, and, and they've never learned anything. Have you ever learned anything from a past experience? I have. One time, a number of years ago, and, and I didn't tell my wife, guys, I probably wouldn't recommend doing this. But I thought it would be a really neat idea if I got a perm in my hair. <laughs> now, it sounded good. I had a little bit more, not much. And when I come home, well, what do you think? And after she about fell on the floor laughing. Now, only the older ones are going to remember this. She said, you look like Bozo the Clown. <laughs> I learned never to do that again. Ever. Not, not at all. But what have you learned? From your experience. The second one is what are my assets? What have I got going for me? Have I got my health? Have I got my freedom? Am I still mentally sound? Have I got friends? Do I have the Lord? Do I have a church family? What do I have that I can get a fresh start with? So we've just been here not almost a year. One of the hardest things in, in us searching here in, in Los Mountain and finding that church Finding that church that jumped out and God said, this is where I want you to be. This is the church family. And we were seeking and searching for a church family because that's what we'd been used to. We'd been used to that. And that's an asset, guys. In my years as a pastor, I've had so, so many people Telling others, and even those at the hospital, my church family oftentimes is more important to me than my own family. We're fortunate here, aren't we? We're fortunate here. And then who can help me? When I need a fresh start, we need somebody by our side. A friend, a, an accountability partner, a prayer partner, a support person. Or, or support group. Find someone that can help you. As I said earlier, I had those men. Thirdly, in A, it's act in faith. 
Active faith, and it's the third step in getting that fresh start. Active faith, you have to launch out into a new territory. And the Bible says the key to changing anything is faith. If you want to change your circumstances, it takes faith. If you want to change your personality, it takes faith. If you want to change anything in your life, you have to have some faith. Jesus said in Matthew 9.29, according to your faith, it will be done to you. And that's very much a simple statement, but it's so powerful. According to your faith, it will be done to you. And it means that we tend to get out of life what we expect. According to your faith, it will be done to you. What are you expecting in life? Are things going to be better or worse? Or are they going to be the same? If you act in faith, you'll do something positive to ensure that you don't repeat the same mistakes over and over and over. And the faith I'm talking about, it's not a dead hope of faith. It's an affirmative faith that takes positive action coupled with the help of God to change your life. In Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, it says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer. Being the ninth hour, and a certain man, man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto him, expecting to receive something of them. See, the man asked for something. And expected to get it. But in reality he got more than he ever expected. And the point I want to make is this. The lame man acted in faith and was greatly rewarded. Many times we ask for something and expect to get nothing. And we get exactly what we expected. Nothing. Guys, if you ask for nothing. It's what you're going to get. <laughs> right? In order to start acting in faith, that means you've got to stop having that pity party or, or feeling sorry for yourself. We have to be able to, to stand when you think about that. We, we do learn from the past. We act in faith for the future. We look to God for guidance. So stop worrying about what others say or think. To say we made a decision um, over a year ago to move to a town where we knew no one. <laughs> Not everyone was happy about that decision. Not all in the family was happy about that decision. When grandma and grandpa was moving two and a half hours away. But here's what we told them. We weren't doing this for us. We were doing this because the Lord called us to do this. And I've learned to follow his lead in my adult life. See, we have to act in, in, in faith. And we have to stop worrying what others think or say. When I first 
surrendered to preach and um, we were going to be moving. I, um, I drove a truck at that time for Dolly Madison, for those that might not like Hostess. Uh, we were competitors. So I sold all those donuts that were sugar-free, you know, really healthy, uh, all of these things. And I remember going into one of my stores, and um, the lady in the produce was there, and she said, I hear that you're going to be leaving us. I, I, I quit a very, very good job where I made very, very good money. Sheila didn't have to work. Uh, to a place in Pineville, Kentucky, Clear Creek Baptist Bible College, where my first check was $63. And I remember going in that store, and she said, I heard that you're going to be leaving us. And I said, yeah. And she said, well, I just got to let you know, I think you're the dumbest person I've ever met in my life. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> She said, have you even thought about it? You've got a, a wife and three kids. How are you going to feed them? I said, well, when I read in the Bible, Jesus said five, 10,000 people at one time. I don't think five are going to be much of a problem. And it wasn't. There was a time we had no food in the house, none. Not even the crunchy Kroger peanut butter, which I do not like. But Kroger had donated it. And we went out for a bit. We hadn't said anything to anyone. We come back. There are groceries on our table, in the refrigerator, and in the freezer. To this day, we still don't know who did it. But we know God did. We acted in faith that didn't make everything great because we traded two brand new vehicles in for a used one. That first Christmas, about a week before Christmas, the engine blew. Um, rods and uh, I forget what else. We were stranded. I mean, I'm like, what are we going to do? Found a person and he said, I'll, I'll fix it for you for $600. This is 1989. That was, remember, my first check was $63. I'm like, Lord, what are we going to do? A little church that we attended outside of Pineville on a Sunday night. And we hadn't said anything to the pastor. said, folks, I, I believe that when someone, especially in the family of God, has a need that we as a church need to help meet that. And they took up a love offering that night. And took up, a, there was only about 20 people, $500. And a church back at our home, an even smaller church, took up an offering that was $200. And before we knew it, we had enough to get the vehicle fixed. God provides when we act in faith. S-T-A-R is refocus. I have to refocus my thoughts if I want to change my life, if I want to get going again, if I want a fresh start, I have to rethink the way I think. I need to change my mind about a number of issues. Proverbs 4.23 says, be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. The way you think determines the way you feel. The way you feel determines the way you act. And if you want to change your actions, just change the way you think. And it will inevitably change the way you act. If you're depressed, discouraged, distressed, it might be because you're thinking depressed, discouraged, and distressful things. 
That's your choice. You don't have to think about those thoughts. If you're acting in fearful, worried ways, it's because you're thinking fearful, worried thoughts. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And guys, we have to refocus our thoughts to start over, to get that fresh start. It means I have to stop thinking some old patterns. Which memories are you still rehearsing that keep you from having that fresh start in life? The Bible said, let go of things. The more you hold on to that memory, the more you rehearse it. And it continues to hurt you today. So how do we... First, you have to confess. Confess to God. And you say... But I have, but I still feel guilty. How do I get rid of that painful memory? Not by resisting, but by replacing it. If I told everyone right now, I saw a cow that looked like a zebra. You know what you're thinking about right now? A cow that looks like a zebra. Right? And so, you're going to have to not think about it. You're, you're going to have to replace that. And how by focusing on, on God's word. Spending time in, in prayer. In fact, Psalms 1 says, Happy are those who are always meditating on God's word. They're like trees along a river that do not dry up. They succeed in everything they do. There's two things that everybody wants in life. We want to be happy and we want to succeed. And how we do this in a way to is in the middle of that. By meditating on God's word. Meditating on God's word. Meditating on God's word, it means continually to rehearse God's word in your mind, in your thoughts. It's interesting that the Bible does not say if you read this book, you'll be happy and successful. It does not say if you listen to this book, you'll be successful. It says if you meditate on it, you'll be happy and successful. And by meditating, it means over and over and over and meditating on what it means for my life. That I consider it. That I consider its implications for my life. And I live it. I live it. We stop seeing ourselves as other people see us. Or how we've seen ourselves. And we begin to see ourselves as God does. And then there's the last T, trust. Trust God to help us to succeed. Depend upon him. We don't need to depend upon ourselves. We've already proven we can't do it on our own, can we? We, we can't do it on our own. That's why we fail. Some people just don't get it. They stumble and fall and they get up and say, I'll just try harder. I'll just try harder. It's like you go up to a wall and you bang your head against the wall and the wall doesn't fall down. And you try it again and it doesn't. And you try it again and it doesn't. You keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over. You know what we call that? Insanity. When you think about it. Doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. We can't change who we are. Only God can. Amen? 
Zechariah 4.6 says, You will not succeed by your own strength or power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. See, when somebody becomes a Christian, you become a brand new person inside. You're not the same person anymore. A new life's begun. And Jesus Christ has the power to do that. We can have that fresh start this first Sunday in 2023. If you know anything about the game of chess, you know that it all comes down to when the king on either side cannot move anymore. And once that king is trapped, the winning side declares checkmate. Checkmate, and the game is over. There is this painting of this hanging. It was hanging in a museum in Paris until the late 90s, and someone bought it, and it's in a private collection now. But this is a, a, the painting, and it's called Checkmate. And on one side, you see the devil. And on the other side, you see a, a young man. And you see that it looks like, you know, it's the devil. He's kind of a little gleeful, isn't he? And the young man, he seems really... Discouraged, and the devil, the story goes, is playing him for his soul. And, and so the devil, he's leering because you know he has said, Checkmate, checkmate. And the young man, his head's bowed, and big tears trickling down his cheeks. And, and the devil's just won in this game of life over this man. He has no strength, he has no way out, he's given up. And the title, as I said, is Checkmate. One day, there were a group of athletes that were going through this museum in Paris, champions. And one was a world champion chess player. And as they went through this in the quarter, he was explaining to this, uh, of this painting and telling them about this and, and said the name of it was Checkmate. The group continued to go on, but the chess player stayed there. And continue to stare at that picture for a long time. And in a bit, the curator came back and said, what are you doing? The group has gone on. And he said, sir, he said, as you know, I'm a world champion chess player. He said, yes, I, I know. And I've been looking at that painting. And I've been looking at it intently. And you know, there's some things that a world champion chess player will see that others don't. And he says, I look at that, he said, the painting is wrong. They're either going to have to change the painting or they're going to have to change the name. And he says, well, I don't quite understand. He said, well, as you look at this, it looks as if Satan has won. and He has won this soul and this man's in dis disbelief and, and really despair. But he said, as I look at the chessboard, what I see is that Satan has not won because the king has one more move. 
And when he makes that move, he will win. And so it's not checkmate. Because the king has one more move. Think about this. So the spiritual implications throughout scripture, God has assured his people that there's always a way out, that there's always another move. When the people of Judah were deported to Babylon because of their sinfulness, God revealed that a future day of release would come. Just as God promised water for the Israelites in the desert, he would provide for them on their long trek homeward. A little boy in John chapter 6 had two pieces of fish and a few loaves of bread, but the king had one more move. And when he made his move, there were 12 basketfuls of food left over. In the Old Testament, the children of Israel came to the Red Sea. And there was the Red Sea. And then they see the Egyptian army coming behind them, chasing after them. They even said, Moses, did you bring us out here to die? But the king had one more move, and God opened the Red Sea. When Daniel was thrown into that den of hungry lions, the king had one more move, and Daniel survived. It looked like checkmate, but it wasn't. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was thrown into the fiery furnace, it looked like it was going to be over for them. But the king had one more move. In fact, the king there says, Did we not just throw three men into that fire? But I see four. died and the devil is like I've got him I finally got him I've destroyed him I killed him and as Satan thought he'd won on that Friday as Jesus died on the cross and they put him into the tomb the king had one more move and on that resurrection Sunday as the stone rolled away Jesus came out alive and defeated sin death did he not? And so my friend, you might have gone through things in 2022. You may go through things in 2023. And oftentimes in life, we consider the world to be a mess with war, violence, deadly pandemic, unemployment, struggling marriages, depression, isolation, and more. I want you to know something. I don't care what you're going through. If it's your marriage, the king has one more move. If it's finances, the king has one more move. If it's health, the king has one more move. No matter what you're going through in your life, the king has one more move. King has one more move. In my 30 years as a minister, I could go on for hours of how God has blessed us. I'll end with, end with one. As I said, we were looking to move down here. And uh, so we were going to hire a mover. You know what? They're not cheap. Anyone have ever had a horror mover? They're not cheap, are they? 
going to do, huh? <laughs> We're going to be moving. In the last couple of years, our association, since our director of mission had passed away, um, they had me just being the contact person. Um, and so actually it was last, it was November um, of 2021. <clears throat> and just out of the blue, and I'm at an executive board meeting, and they voted to give me money because I had been doing the work of the director of mission. And it paid for our move here. I want to tell you, it might seem bleak at times, but I want to assure you, the king always has one more move. The king has one more move. And I've learned through all my Christian life, God will never let you down. Will never let you down. Our creator has one more move left. Our future is in his hands. If you've never trusted Christ to be your Lord and Savior, and you've been trying to do this all on your own, the King has one more move in your life, and He wants to change your life forever. If you are a Christian and you've struggled this past year, I want to tell you, don't give up. Don't give in. The King has one more move. Does He not? Let's pray. Our Father, we come before you this morning. And I'm so thankful that the King always has another move. You have blessed us so tremendously last year. You've blessed this church. And now, Lord, I pray for 2023 of this church. I pray that this would be a year like never before and, and we would see even more come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I would pray that this time next year that this church would be full because we know you can do that and we know you want that. I pray for this invitation, Lord, if you've spoken to someone's heart, whatever it may be, Lord, just keep letting them know the king has one more move. For we ask these things in Jesus' name.